All right, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, please. Continuing on with our series. I've been enjoying preaching through this book so far. I hope you've also enjoyed following along. Luke 1, and today we're going to be covering verses 46 down to 55. However, we're going to get a running start and remind you of what we covered last week, starting in verse 43. We'll talk about that now, but in verse 49, I want to just read one thing before we pray. Verse 49, Mary says here, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And that's the title of my sermon today. I want to preach to you for just a few minutes about the great things that God has done for us. Father, we ask you now to please come down and meet with us. Lord, we want the Spirit of God to touch our hearts, to speak to us, to challenge us, to change us. Father, please fill me now. I just want to be a a vessel, meet for the Master's use. Please speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The story today that we're going to read about is Mary praising God. She's testifying. But all of this gets started in verse 43, I think, when Elizabeth is is exclaiming how excited she is for Mary to be there. And she asked this question, Whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What did I do to deserve such a great honor? Now, Elizabeth, she's so excited. I'm sure we've all done this, right? You've been excited. You ask a question. She didn't give Mary time to answer. She asked the question and immediately starts explaining why she asked the question. Verse 44, For lo, as soon as... The voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears. The babe leaped in my womb for joy. I think that's so interesting that John the Baptist, you know that his calling for his life and ministry was to announce the coming of Jesus. He started before he was born. Jesus is here. I want everybody around me to know that he's in the room. And he is announcing the presence of Christ. In verse 45, and Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth is saying about her much younger cousin, I'm so glad to have you here. I preached last week about spirit-filled fellowship. Elizabeth is saying, you know, you, Mary, you build my faith. You add joy to my life. You are literally bringing me closer to Jesus. We all need people in our lives that can do that for us. But what Elizabeth is excited about is not just Mary, but as you can see in verse 43, the mother of my Lord. That's what's so exciting about this particular uh, meeting that's going on. Now, Mary finally gets an opportunity to respond in verses 46 on down. We're going to go through all of the verses just now. She has a chance to testify. And I very strongly considered naming my sermon this morning, Testify. Because I think it's important for every believer at some point in their lives to tell someone, us, someone else just how good God has been to you. To stand up and say it publicly, whether it's to a small group in a, in a home on a Thursday night or whether it's in front of the entire church to say, folks, I just want you to know I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more, but the master of the sea He heard my despairing cry from the waters, rescue me, now safe am I. 
to stand up and offer that testimony to say, I was this way, but then I met Jesus and nothing has ever been the same. Everybody at some point needs to testify. Regardless of whether you like it or not, you have a testimony. And we just hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is at the center of your testimony. It cannot be overlooked that what Mary says in verses 46 to 55 is very similar to what Hannah said in the Old Testament. You might remember Hannah's story. She was barren, and the other wife of Elimelech, I think it was the man's name, she was picking on Hannah. Hannah begins to pray. God mercifully answers her prayer. And in 1 Samuel 2, Hannah prays. And many of these prayers also work well as a song. As a matter of fact, for almost 2,000 years now, people have sung the passage we're about to study today. They call it the Magnificent, and it makes for a very beautiful song. Hannah, when she is praying slash singing, her prayer is all about how God saved me from my trouble, how God doesn't despise the humble, and how one day God is going to establish righteousness and justice over the whole earth. And that is the exact pattern that Mary takes in this. She starts off talking about how how great God has been to her. Then she's going to move out and talk about how God has mercy on others around her and then looks far into the future about how God is going to fix all the problems of the world one day. I wonder if Mary had it in the back of her mind to say just like God did something great in Hannah's life. That is an outstanding story of God looking down on somebody who is despised by the world. Hannah was being picked on And yet God honored the humility of Hannah, answered her prayer, and used her in this tremendous way to bring Samuel into the world. And Samuel made a massive difference in the life of that nation. Now Mary, if Hannah was something special, Mary is going to take that to a whole new level. You know, it's a tremendous thought if you stop and think about it for a moment. The God that we serve, the Savior that lives inside of us, is the same one that lived inside of Peter James, John, Paul, right? And if we're falling in line with them, the great things he did with them is the same kind of great things he can do in us. What an honor it is to be put into that sort of category. Mary's going to begin to testify just now. And in verse, I've already pointed out in verse 49, she mentions the great things that God has done. There's another story where that phrase is used. I've given you one verse in Mark 5, verse 19 on your outline. Jesus meets this maniac of Gadara. There was actually two of them. Maniacs often travel in pairs. Sometimes they're married. Just thought I'd throw that out there. (laughs) But this maniac is approached by Jesus. And he's been cutting himself, living amongst the tombs. No man can tame him. They try to wrap him up with chains. He breaks through the chains. This man is unhelpable unapproachable, unusable, unwanted, unworthy by everybody except Jesus. Jesus approaches and says, tell me your name. And he says, we are legion for we're many. This man can't even speak for himself. He is so eaten up with devils that it is the devil speaking through him. Jesus cast those devils out. You know how the story goes. They go into the pig. It's the first, or pigs. They commit hogicide. They go down into the waters and they're all gone. And this man is left seated at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. How many weeks, months, years had gone by with this man not having a clear thought? 
And finally, he's seated at the feet of Jesus. He's listening to what Jesus has to say. And he says, I can take it in. I can understand it. He says, anywhere you go, I want to go with you. I don't want to spend one moment away from you. And I tell you, when you have a real encounter with Jesus, you don't want to be far from him ever again. Let me just stay as close to you as I can possibly be. Jesus says in verse 19 here, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. He didn't allow that. But saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. I think that's good advice for all of us today. Next time you see your friends, how about you just tell them, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, he passed by my way and he changed everything. He has done great things for me. I want to lay them out for you one by one and tell you just how good God has been. That is healthy. That's necessary for every believer, I think. In Psalm 126, verse 3, on your paper again, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. To that I say amen, and we need to open our mouths and say something about that. Mary's testimony today is going to be broken down into three parts. The great things God has done to me. Then she's going to focus on how those great things can be done on them. You say, who's them? Anybody that's not Mary. (laughs) Anybody else can have these great things as well. And then Mary's focus, point three, will be how she looks into into the future, how God is going to fix the whole world. In verse 46, you can put on number one on your outline, great things to me, to me. She looks inward at what God has done in her own life. In verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. You understand what it means to magnify something? You make it bigger. You make it bigger. And I think that's important for every human being to put the spotlight not on yourself but on God. Let me just tell you how great He is. Let me. It's hard to say make Him bigger because He's pretty big, (laughs) He's pretty huge. He's a big deal, but sometimes we don't make as big a deal of him as we should. And sometimes it's good to stop and make sure that the spotlight on him is shining bright and that everybody knows that the specialness about you is actually him. For 2,000 years, people have tried to make a very big deal out of Mary. Notice the first thing out of Mary's mouth is, I'm not the big deal. Let me put the spotlight on him. Very close to what the Apostle Paul would say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, we look at Paul and we go, man, God did a great work in Paul's life. And amen, we're going to show you, I'll show you some verses just now about that. But Paul was careful to point out, it wasn't me, it was the grace of God in me. It was Jesus Christ. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My soul doth magnify the Lord, verse 47. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Interesting note here, Mary needed a Savior. This runs contrary to what I was taught as a young man. I grew up Catholic, and I was taught that Mary was sinless and wouldn't need a Savior, therefore. But Mary herself tells us that she did have, she needed a Savior and had a Savior. In chapter 2, we'll see again that she was a sinner. Let's understand something more about Mary's salvation and her need for a Savior. You understand that Mary is an Old Testament figure. You get that, right? She lived before the cross. So this puts her in an Old Testament setting. So her salvation is going to be a little different than ours. In the Old Testament, God had revealed a way for the people to find forgiveness and for the people to live a holy life, right? To not only forgive them and thus save them from past mistakes, but to prevent future mistakes. 
So God had revealed that through the law, and they could bring sacrifices, but bear in mind that the forgiveness that they received <clears throat> was temporary. <clears throat> nobody, sorry, nobody in the Old Testament received eternal or permanent forgiveness. If they had, they wouldn't need to bring more sacrifices. They could just bring one, done, and now I'm forgiven. But it didn't work like that. Now, Mary had a very solid Savior. She had a, a way to God. She had the revealed law or words of God. And to her, that was very special. But what about us? Living on the other side of the cross, if Mary will say, I rejoice in God my Savior, He, he showed me a way to be forgiven. And He showed me a way to overcome those mistakes so I don't keep repeating them. What about us? We also have a way of forgiveness, but not temporary, permanent. To be washed in the blood and our sins removed from us as far as the east is from the west, never to be seen again. Washed off the record, cleared, we're justified. We've been declared righteous or innocent in the court of God. What a tremendous thought that my sins are paid for, not by the sacrifice of an animal, but the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have something Mary didn't have. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He dwells with us forever. She didn't have that. We have a full Bible. Mary didn't have that. We have the revelation of the New Testament. We know how much God loves us because He sent His Son to die. Mary knew a little bit of that, but not like we do. Mary didn't have a local church to go to like we do. We have so many advantages of being in the New Testament. I think we should also stand up and testify and say, I rejoice in the plan that God had to save my soul. And not only did He send His Son to die for the world, but then He sent the Holy Spirit to find you, friend. To find you, friend. To search you down. To hunt you down and show you your need for Christ. And you, that one lost sheep, the other 99, safe and secure in the fold. But you, that lost sheep that went astray, the shepherd took time to come find you. I rejoice in God, my Savior. Look at verse 48. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. That word handmaiden is, that's what we would say as a female slave or servant. <clears throat> Notice what Mary is acknowledging. I'm a nobody. But she also acknowledged I'm a servant of God. I am his handmaiden. I am his servant. For behold, she says, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. I was a nobody. Everybody now is going to think I'm somebody. Not because of me or my own virtue, but because of how God decided to use me. Verse 49, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. She's trying to magnify his name. It's not me. I was just a lowly servant. Now think about this, Mary was trying to serve God. Even before the angel Gabriel come, uh, came to her and said, you're going to be the mother of the Savior and so forth, she was trying to serve God. She was just one of many. One of many. I wasn't. Before the Holy Spirit passed my way, I wasn't trying to serve God. Mary was trying to live a clean life. She was, right? She was a pure young lady. We, we studied that a couple of weeks ago. She had a good testimony. I didn't. And I know many of you, you didn't. And then to think that just like Jesus came and lived inside of her for a while, and she got this great privilege of being used by God to be a vessel meet for the Master's use. 
I didn't have the testimony Mary had, and yet God came by my way. Not only did he save me and clean me up, but then he put his finger on me and said, you, I want you to serve me. I want to use you in this place to help that person to change that life. And who am I to say, God, I, I'm, I'm fit for that kind of service. I, deserve, I don't deserve that. We don't deserve for God to put his hand on our life and say, I'm going to not only save you, but change you and use you. That's something to rejoice about. That's something to testify about. Can I ask you to hold your place here? Come to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's take a quick look at verse number 16 and 17. Paul, as he was known to do, he shares with us a little bit of his testimony. You might remember this from Philippians 3 as well, that Paul said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, as touching the law, blameless. Paul, as far as a Jew was concerned, he lived it. He lived it. He had the reputation and the honor of all the people around him. He was a big shot. You know what his conclusion was? He says, what things were gained to me, I put it on your paper, Philippians 3, 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Anything that the world might have looked at and gave me honor and applauded me for, he said, I'll put all that aside for one moment with Christ. I'll count all that but loss that I can get to know him and go deeper and deeper in my walk with him. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 16, he says, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. What is that pattern? Paul said, I'm the pattern. I'm the template. What is that template? You can see in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul never forgot where he came from. He never forgot the pit from whence he was digged. He says, I know what I used to be. I thought I was doing something good. I thought I was serving God, but in truth, I was the enemy of the cross. I was the enemy of God's Son. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Watch it, of whom I am chief. Not I was, I am. Paul says, I'm still not worthy of this calling. I know me. I know my past. And to think not only did Jesus show up and forgive me of all those horrible things I did, but now He counted me faithful. He enabled me. He equipped me. He patiently taught me, prepared me, put me into the ministry. And now other people are coming to know Christ through me. He says, now I'm a pattern. It's not that Paul is the only one that can have this privilege, any of us. You say, I'm a mess i got a horrible story. I've done it wrong for so long. Listen, Jesus can come to you with, a, uh, what does it say? Exceeding abundant faith and love. He shows up and he says, I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how ugly the list is of things you've done. I can wash it all clean. I can not only save you, I can change you. I can not only change you, I can teach you. I can not only teach you, I can use you. 
and you can become a trophy of my grace. God will save you, change you, equip you, use you. That's the pattern that has been repeated over and over again. What's the end goal? Verse 17, now unto the king eternal. You know what Paul does? He magnifies the Lord. He puts the spotlight on him. He says, I want you to get a real big view of of who's behind all this. It's not me. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the end goal of this. We can show you just how great Jesus is. Come back to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Verse number 50 now. Second point on your outline. Point number two, mercy on them. So Mary starts off with the great things he's done to me. And now we're going to focus for a minute or two on the mercy that God can have on them. Verse 50, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. What God did for Mary, what God did for the Apostle Paul, what God has done for Mike Flick, he can also do for you. It is available for all them that, listen, that fear him. You have to take him seriously. You have to understand how righteous, how holy he is, that he does take seriously our offenses. You can't just wink at these things and take it lightly. When you honestly look at what you've done and what you deserve because of that, say, God, if I get what I deserve, I'm never going to be around you one moment in eternity. Please, there's no reason that you should save me. It's going to be a complete act of mercy, and I get that. You're not going to save me because of me, not because of what I've done. Because of what I've done, I deserve to be punished forever. I don't deserve to spend one moment in your presence. But God, because of mercy, mercy is God giving, not giving you something you deserve. Instead of giving me that punishment I deserve, God, I'm asking for grace. I'm asking for mercy. Please, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, when I think back in my life, I, you know, all of us have a different story as to where we came from. And, and this is going to be a very subjective statement, and I mean not to start an argument with it, but I wonder if I wasn't the worst kind of sinner there is. Now, it's not a contest, okay? You don't have to prove me wrong there. <laughs> but let me tell you what I mean by that. It's not that I was hanging out in low-life places and committing heinous crimes. I wasn't murdering people or raping anyone. I wasn't like that. So what do I mean when I say the worst kind of sinner? I was a successful one. I was getting away with all of my sins. Every time I did something wrong, no one saw it, no one condemned me, no one said, hey, what are you doing? I was making a lot of money. I was very successful at my job. Anything I wanted, I could pretty much get at that time. And I think that, that sort of sinner, arguably, right, subjectively speaking, might be the worst, that might be the worst case to be in because you think you're okay. You don't see your need for a Savior. You don't see your need for mercy. Why would I need God's mercy? I have everything I need. I'm not under any condemnation. No one's blaming me for anything. Everybody approves of the way I'm doing things. I don't need mercy. That is such a dangerous place to be in. The guy, the girl who hits rock bottom at least knows they need help. Do you know this morning how much you need God's help? How much you need His salvation? The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that God is rich in mercy. For His great mercy, 
and his great love wherewith he loved us, right? The, the wonderful thing about the richness of God's mercy is he needed to spend a lot of mercy on me, but because he's rich in mercy, he has a lot for you too. And the next guy who comes and needs a bucket load of mercy, he's got lots of buckets. <laughs> and he'll just keep pouring out. Isn't it wonderful in Lamentations we read that his mercy is new every morning? You can never exhaust him of it. He's been having mercy on sad, sinful people for 2,000 years, bringing them to Christ, saving them, changing them, and he's still not even, you haven't scratched the surface of his mercy. He's got enough for you this morning. So how do I access that? Humble yourself in the sight of God. He'll lift you up. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I know it. I don't deserve to be in heaven. I don't deserve your presence. I certainly don't deserve to be used by you. Please be merciful to me, a sinner. Those that fear him from generation to generation, no matter when you live, no matter what, where you live, what language you speak, that mercy you have access to. How many of you are familiar with this verse in Hebrews? It talks about Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You remember that verse? Have you ever looked at the context of it? In verse 7, right before that, it says, Remember them that preach the word of God, that speak the word of God to you. Consider their conversation, follow their faith, and it says considering the end of their conversation. Look at how they live. They preach, now look at how they live. Do they practice what they preach? If they do, follow that. Follow that example. And the next verse is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why put those two verses together? Because the guy who's standing up and preaching the word of God and trying to live it out, the reason he's doing that is because he met Jesus Christ one day. And the same Jesus that changed him is the one that can change you too. From generation to generation, yesterday, today, forever, that same Jesus is ready to work in you. Can I show you one other thing in this passage? Let's begin Luke 1, verse 51. Point three, justice for the whole world, if you want to put it on your outline. Great things to me, mercy on them, and justice for the whole world. Verse 51, he hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Now let's notice this as we read these verses. She's speaking in the past tense. Do you see that? As if it's already done. But wait a minute, the proud, <clears throat> sorry, the proud had not been scattered yet. Matter of fact, at the time Mary's saying this, Rome is in power. And they're very, very proud people. They had not been scattered or put down. God had not shown his strength as of yet to conquer the world in this way. Why would Mary put it in the past tense? Because this is what God promised to do. And when God gives his word, it's as good as done. And Mary knew it. Mary knew with God nothing's impossible. If me as a virgin, she, if God can put a baby in my womb, then God, all these other promises, no problem at all. He says in verse 52, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. So what happened in Mary's case is just a small little microcosm of an example. Here Mary is a lowly little servant girl. And God's going to use her in this big way. And as you look around the world today, there are so many people that are despised by the world, counted as nothing and it seems as if God has even forgot about them sometimes. And Mary is pointing out, 
God knows exactly where those people of low degree are. And those are the people that God will one day exalt. In verse 53, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich hath He sent, away, sent empty away. Not yet, but one day will. The people that are in power now, they get there through corruption. They cheat, they lie, they steal their way to the top. It's not going to be like that forever. Aren't you tired of living under a corrupt system? And listen, I'm not talking just about South Africa. You can immigrate, go somewhere else, you're going to find corruption there too. Amen. It's everywhere. The world is eaten up of it. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Every thought of the imagination of their heart, just evil continually. Confusion permeates every government, especially now in these COVID days. People abusing that to take power over the people, to remove our freedoms and try to manipulate society to be what they want it to be. Taking a real disease, something that does affect people, but then blowing it out of proportion to make it something it's not. All for the sake of either money or power. This can be incredibly frustrating because there are people in genuine need, hungry, lowly, the humble of this world that need help and yet they get ignored by those in power. And here we are as a church, we want to reach out to those people that have been, that have been forgotten by society. And yet the governments try to make it even more difficult for us to do that, putting more and more regulations on us where we can't open the doors for everyone. What do we do? Well, it, listen, we can sit here all day and complain about it. That's not going to fix it, is it? For you to go home or me to go home and stew in our juices and get angry and bitter at how rotten the governments of the world, that's not going to fix it. You know what we do? We open up our Bibles and we say, God, what's your plan for fixing this? God, it's not going to be like this forever. We have a promise that one day Jesus is going to sit upon the throne of his father, David. We can look forward to that. Verse number 54, he hath holpen, that's an old English word for helped, he hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary, she, she looks inward, says, God has done something great for me. And God can do that for anybody listening. His mercy is available. And I know just how far His mercy is going to extend. I can go 1,800 years into the past and look at the promise that God gave our father Abraham. It took him 1,800 years to fulfill it, but he's fulfilling it. I've given you the verse, Genesis 12, verse 2. God said to Abraham, I'll make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. Do you see the great things in the verse? And thou shalt be a blessing. He said, Abraham, through you I'm going to bless thee, and all the families of the earth are going to get blessed through you. It took God 1,800 years, plus or minus, to fulfill that promise by sending his son to the world. Now, we've been waiting about 2,000 years since Jesus was here. You see, God counts time a little differently than us, but sure enough, he is. Jesus said, I come quickly. Man, you know he counts time different than us. <laughs> Surely I come quickly. Well, amen. If he said he's going to come, it took God a while to fulfill that promise to Abraham, but he did it. And the promise of Jesus coming again, folks, I'm telling you, it's right around the corner. Man, we can see things just shaping up for that. Right about now, the body of Christ should be getting very excited. Listen, it's going to do us no good to sit around complaining about COVID and regulations and vaccines. We can have the conversation, but rather than getting bitter 
rather than letting that put a bad taste in your mouth where that's the only thing that's coming out. How about we put this testimony of God's mercy and grace in your mouth, say, yes, the whole world is upside down right now, but when Jesus shows up, he's going to set it right. He's going to be upon his throne, and these thousands of years old prophecies, we're going to get to see them come to pass. And one day we'll get to stand there before the king. What a day that'll be. When Jesus comes back, there he is seated upon the throne. There sitting in Jerusalem, the whole world bowing down, worshiping him, people traveling from far and wide to come and hear him speak. Won't that be a day to stand there, turn around? You'll get your chance. We got all eternity. Don't worry. This is one queue you don't mind waiting in. And if there's anything we know how to do in Africa, we know how to wait in a queue. Amen. <laughs> You'll get your chance to stand behind the mic and say to everybody, listen, I want, you to I, I want to tell you about the great things he's done for me. He did it for me, and I saw him do it for you, and all these old, ancient promises, I've seen them come to pass. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and I'm just glad to know him. I'm glad to know him. There's a great passage in the book of Psalms. Where it says one day when the Messiah comes, there's going to be justice, righteousness, truth, holiness established. And, and you know, there, there's, there's one part in there that's just great. No more complaining in our streets. Now just think about that. I don't even know how to picture that. No complaining in our streets. You know how he pulls that off? He fixes everything, including you. There are some folks, no matter how good the thing is, they're going to find a way to complain. But when he, when he shows up and fulfills these promises, ancient promises, and makes it right, there he is. Even the most cynical person will look for a way to complain and go, there's just nothing wrong. He's done all things well. He's not just a good, he's a great God. That's the conclusion we come to. I want to challenge you this week. At some point, just like Mary, she got excited. Elizabeth's joy spilled over onto Mary. And Mary said, let me tell you just how great he's been. I want you to find somebody this week and tell them about the great things that God has done for you, what he can do for them, and the plan he has to fix it all. Let's take advantage of these opportunities. Let's make these opportunities to talk about our God. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Some music will play softly. Mary understood that what God was doing in her, bringing Jesus into the world, that was the answer to fix the world. That mercy she was getting, that's, that was the answer. That's the mercy to fix everything. These great things we've read about, they can also be true of you. I said, Brother Mike, I've, I hear people all the time talking about how great he is, and, you know, I just don't get it. What's so great about it? Well, there's only one way to get to the bottom of that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You want to know how great it is? You've got to taste it yourself. You can hear us talk about it all you want. 
but you're never going to fully appreciate how great He is until you personally receive Him as your Savior. Say, I'm scared to tell others about what God is doing in my heart. I tell you what, sometimes those great things, they fill you so much the cup begins to run over. You can't help but get excited and tell someone else. Say, Pastor, my cup hasn't run over in a while. Maybe today you need to magnify the Lord. Put the magnifying glass on Him and what He's doing in your life. Take a long look at how good He's been to you. I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of your complaining will stop. And in the place of complaint, there'll be thanksgiving. There'll be praise. Father, we thank you this morning for the great things you've done, especially, Lord, sending your Son not only to die for us, to forgive us, but to live inside of us, to prevent the next mistake we might make. I pray, Lord, for myself, for this entire church, everybody here, give us a chance this week to tell somebody just how great you are. There are so many great things we can choose from. We don't deserve it, but we would be honored to have that privilege of magnifying you in somebody else's presence. Father, help us not to, forget, uh, to quickly forget what we've heard this morning, but to hold it in our hearts. The same Jesus that was in Mary Later, spiritually, in Paul, Peter, James, it's the same Jesus we have now. So, Lord, if anybody's not saved here, let, let it be today that the Lord Jesus Christ moves into their heart, please. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. Tonight, we do have the Bible school class, 6 p.m. So, we hope to either see you in person or have you online with us. You guys have a good afternoon.